A word of warning, this show deals with some adult themes. Welcome to Modern Babies, a podcast about the sometimes bumpy road to starting a family. I'm Jess. And I'm Josh. And this week, we're getting into the nitty gritty of IVF, what you can expect from the whole process, start to finish. If you're considering IVF, visit Jenea.com.au and you can request an appointment with one of their fertility specialists. In our last episode, I was lucky enough to have a tour of the lab and witness this science in action. But today we're going to hear about the process more from the patient's perspective. But first, we're speaking to Dr. Mark Livingston to get our heads around what actually happens during an IVF cycle. So IVF stands for in vitro fertilization, which means just putting the sperm and the eggs together in the laboratory and creating embryos to pop back into the uterus. It's the generic term for assisted conception, but there are, we actually call it assisted conception means trying to form an embryo in the laboratory, but there are two different ways of fertilizing an egg, IVF, mixing the sperm and the eggs together, or ICSI, which is intracytoplasmic sperm injection, which means injecting a single sperm directly into the egg. So IVF, people on the street talk about IVF, but people may be having ICSI and injecting sperm into the eggs. Just assisted conception is what we actually call it. Is one way more... No, IVF is if the sperm is normal, just mix them together. ICSI is if the sperm's abnormal or if the sperm's not fertilised an egg before in the past. ICSI, a lot of people feel better when you say you're going to inject one sperm into the egg because you think it's more definite it will fertilise. But if you've got normal sperm... IVF and ICSI give exactly the same fertilisation rates. And it's more handling of the egg to strip all the cells from the outside of the egg, which we have to do before we inject a sperm in there. So often it's better to do less rather than more. So you do IVF for the right people, ICSI only if it's indicated to do it, rather than just doing ICSI for everyone. So Mark went on to share that a lot of people like to watch what's going on with their partner. And so they get some pain relief. So they're awake for it and they can watch it together. They get to watch everything that happens. Yeah, To do the process of IVF, there are a lot of myths and a lot of talk about how bad it is or it's it's really expensive, for example. The process itself nowadays is usually about a month with about five days of one injection a day, which a woman gives to herself. It's easy to give. It's a small amount of fluid and it doesn't actually sting that much giving the injection because it's now small volumes of fluid. It used to be quite a lot of fluid and that really stung. So it's about five days of one injection a day from the beginning of the period, followed by four days of two injections a day. Now, in those nine days, there'll be a couple of blood tests and ultrasounds, usually between seven and nine in the morning. So as people can come in, do the investigations, go to work, I'll discuss results with the nursing staff of how things have gone that morning, maybe at 10 or 11. We'll phone patients, say, come in for another blood test on Thursday, or you're going to have an egg collection. We'll keep people informed all the way through, but bloods and scans, maybe day one for a blood test, day four for a blood test, day eight or day nine for a blood test and an ultrasound. The ultrasound's a vaginal ultrasound because it gets the best pictures of the uterus and the ovaries. And we want to measure these little follicles, little cysts where the eggs grow. And when these get to about 14 to 20 millimetres, that's when we think the egg will be ready to pop. Now, we've stopped that from happening with the medications we've given. The injections stop ovulation from happening so as we can stimulate more than one to grow. When the follicles are the right size, we get the lady to take a trigger injection. 
and she gives that injection at night time. So if it was tonight, it would be late, say eight o'clock tonight. That makes ovulation happen two days later. What's she injecting? Just a trigger injection to induce ovulation. Of? It's called HCG. It's actually the pregnancy hormone. And we give that to make these little follicles burst. So the eggs would be released 39 hours after the injection. And we go and get the eggs 36 hours after injection. So three hours before they would all pop. We go and get the eggs so they're nice and ripe and mature. And so we can then put them with the sperm. The collection process takes about 15 minutes. And we we usually use just a little bit of painkiller through a drip in the back of the hand and some local anesthetic into the top of the vagina. So some clinics will put patients to sleep to do this, but most of my patients prefer to be awake because they can actually watch what's happening. The partner comes into the procedure, some painkiller, some local anesthetic, and then just pop the ultrasound inside the vagina and just suck out the fluid from each of those little follicles while watching on the ultrasound screen. And patients can actually watch on the screen as I'm actually popping the needle into the follicles and drain the fluid. Most people are surprised how little they feel from it. Pain's usually worse after the procedure rather than during it. And actually, a lot of people are scared who maybe had general anaesthetics elsewhere or not keen on going through this procedure. But once you actually start, they actually realise how little they feel and they actually tend to watch what's actually happening with the procedure. For anyone doing IVF, one of the first tests we do is an egg counting test. So each month on day one of a cycle, a woman has a number of little follicles that will cysts in the ovaries that start to grow. Now from those, naturally, usually one, occasionally two, will make it to ovulation and pop and release an egg. We have to assess how many are starting there before we do IVF to give us an idea how many eggs someone will produce from IVF. Because if their ovaries are small with only a few little follicles and the egg counting test called an AMH is low, then we'll tend to get a low number of eggs from IVF because the drug that we give is called follicle-stimulating hormone and it makes follicles grow in the ovary. If there aren't many there, we're only making what's starting to grow keep growing. So if a woman has 20 follicles starting on day one in the ovary naturally, one usually makes it to ovulation, 19 disappear, and a fresh batch starts every month. And that's why women ovulate one egg, have one baby naturally usually, rather than 20 eggs, 20 babies, the rest disappear. We're not using up eggs when we're doing IVF. A lot of ladies think, you're going to use up all my eggs, I'm going to get all my reserves used up. But what we're actually doing is just making what's starting to grow in that month keep growing. So we're not putting people into early menopause. We're not using up their eggs early by doing an IVF cycle. We're just working with what's there. Equally, we can't make people produce eggs if they're not there. If there are only two or three follicles there, you're not going to get many eggs from an IVF cycle. So if we're going to do PGD, which means pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, that's testing embryos to look for their 46 chromosomes. We have to do an IVF cycle. We have to collect eggs. They have to fertilize with sperm. So the sperm and the eggs are put together either by mixing them together, which is IVF, letting the best sperm go through on its own, or ICSI, which is injecting a single sperm directly into the egg. And that's done primarily for sperm issues. Sperm's not moving very well or low numbers and they can't get through on their own. So the eggs have got to fertilize and then we've got to grow them in the lab for five days. And on day five, day six, also we assess these embryos to see whether they're suitable to test. 
what we've actually done is the day before on day four, made a little hole in the shell of the embryo with a laser so that some of the cells from the embryo can bulge out of that hole on day five or day six. And we can only test if the embryo has done that. And we can actually chop off some of those cells and then do testing for the chromosomes. We can't test the embryo if it's pushed out what we call the inner cell mass from the little hole. So the embryo has, it's expanded, it's like a ball of cells, like a soccer ball. And there's a concentrated clump of cells that are called the inner cell mass that will turn into the baby. We never touch those cells. We only touch the cells that will form the placenta and the membranes. So we're hoping that some of those cells will bulge out of this little hole on day five or day six. And then we can freeze the embryo, but we've got to wait for a few weeks for the results of those tests to come back. What's day five? Like what happens between day four and so, day six? It's so special about day five. Well, day zero is the day of egg collection. The sperm, the eggs are collected. The sperm is put with the eggs. And we look the next day for the two little discs to see if they've fertilized normally. So that's day one. We then look at the embryos on day four to make the little hole in the shell. They're often what we call a compacted morial. That's just a fancy name for a day four stage embryo. And we want them to get to day five, a blastocyst stage. And not only be at that stage of development, which is the soccer ball stage of an embryo, but we also want them to have some cells bulging out of the little hole. So we've got to make the hole the day before so as they're ready to biopsy on day five and day six to do the freezing on that day as well. Not all embryos make it to that stage. There's a drop off. So from follicles on scan, there might be 20 follicles on the scan before we do the egg collection. You might get 12 eggs from the egg collection when we've sucked out all the fluid from the follicles. We put the sperm with the eggs. We might get seven that fertilize on day one and make it to that stage. By day five, we may have two or three embryos that have made it to the blastocyst stage that hopefully would be suitable to be tested, provided they've pushed some cells out of that hole. So that's day five and day six that we do those tests. But you don't know it is stepwise how things go. And a lot of people feel it's really an emotional roller coaster. There might be good follicle numbers, then not as many eggs as expected, then really good fertilization, then not as many make it to day five. But then you get a good embryo, normal chromosomes, and it forms one baby, sometimes twins. There's a slightly higher chance of twins with IVF, identical twins than naturally. Naturally, it's about one in 300. With IVF, it's about one in 100. So from the embryo transfer, it's a long 11 days to wait until the pregnancy test. So if a cycle's 28 days, it's about nine days of injections with two or three early morning blood tests plus or minus ultrasounds. Egg collection about day 11, which is the day off work with the painkiller, local anaesthetic, and be driven home, obviously, maybe the next day off work. Embryo transfer, if an embryo is put back straight away, maybe day 16, 17. And then waiting 11 days for the pregnancy test at the end. And that's often the worst bit for people is that long 11 day wait for the pregnancy test. If that's positive on a blood test, three weeks later is an ultrasound at seven weeks to check that the pregnancy is normal, to check there's just one, and then head off to the obstetrician after that, hopefully for a normal pregnancy. And in those 11 days, is there anything that anyone can do? No, it's down to luck. And I mean, if, if you've done an IVF cycle, there might be big ovaries and swollen, might be a little bit swollen in the tummy. So it's taking it easy, lots of fluids, not doing huge amounts of exercise. There's not much else that you can do just hoping. And what's the success rate of IVF? For someone who is under 30, maybe 50% or one in two chance of pregnancy. 
when you put an embryo back, a good embryo back. It's really not... Not 100%. 100% yeah. If someone is, a woman is 40, maybe one in five chance of pregnancy. At 45, we're looking at virtually zero, almost 1%. So from 40 to 45, there's a big drop off in success rates. And that's why a lot of ladies say, well, if I've had one baby, the next one will come easier. But you've actually got a little bit older. So your chance of pregnancy is reduced, chance of miscarriage increases, and chance of Down syndrome increases as well. So let's jump into the start of an IVF cycle. We had a chat with Wendy Bradford, who's a fertility nurse with Jenea, and we asked her how you'd best prepare for the start of your IVF journey. Jess, if I'm the partner here, what am I doing? Whatever you're told, Josh. I'm the one giving the injections, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, gently. One of the most important injections in their IVF cycle will be the trigger injection. So that's the one they'll take 36 hours before their day surgery admission. And that starts getting the ovaries and the eggs ready for the egg collection. So it starts the maturing process. So really important that it's timed exactly as we instruct them. If there's too long a period between that injection and the egg collection, they may actually ovulate on their own. And that in itself, you know, often patients are doing those injections at night time at home. It can be a bit nerve wracking knowing how important it is and making sure you get it right and that something doesn't go astray. Then it's generally just around things that they can and can't do and what to bring with them on the day. So, you know, we always ask them not to wear any perfume on the day because any kind of smells or things that will be in the air um, is not something that we want to be exposing any eggs or embryos to in the actual procedure room. You know, we generally ask them not to wear nail polish because we'll need to track their heart rate and the oxygen saturation in their blood by putting a little probe on their finger and that can't read through the nail polish. Things like, you know, not wearing high heels on the day because you'll need to keep your shoes on when you actually go in for the procedure. So things that you would normally wouldn't think about suddenly become quite important and there's a lot to remember. So Steve and Leanne were having trouble conceiving and they were in their mid-30s and decided to do something about it, even though it wasn't necessarily their first choice. We've already spoken to Steve and actually we're going to speak to him in a minute. But first, we spoke to Leanne and she shared how she felt about going through the process. I always wanted to have children. I never thought I would be one of those people that needed IVF and it initially really saddened me, I think. A little bit like, I know it's not the same, but a little bit like online dating, which has that stigma attached to it. I think everyone's a bit embarrassed to say, oh, I met my partner online, which, by the way, I did. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's the same with IVF. There's almost people kind of say it under their breath or or don't share it at all because, like, they're embarrassed that they think they failed or they weren't capable, which it's not like that at all. I I look at it as I just needed a bit of a helping hand. And so would I give my daughter advice to have children younger? Absolutely. Absolutely, but you just don't know. You've got, you know, you have people who are 40 and they finally meet the love of their life at the age of 40, have sex for the first time unprotected and they fall pregnant. Like, it's just hard to know what your circumstances are because you've never, unless you explore it, you wouldn't know whether you're fertile or not. And that's what the hard thing is. It's just the unknown. But yeah, I would definitely recommend women to look at um, trying sooner in their life. Did it take just one round of IVF? Just one. And, you know, even like, so... The first round for any woman is difficult because, you know, no fertility specialist, you can't just say, okay, well, this is how much, these are the hormones you need at this level because every woman's body will work differently. So they initially put you on quite a conservative amount because they want to see what your body does and they track you every single day. So you're getting blood tests regularly. 
to see what your levels are doing and they're checking your ovarian follicles and they can you know, literally see these eggs growing and they can see you know, how big they're getting and all of a sudden they'll say, guess what, you're doing an injection tonight, that's going to trigger all your eggs to be released from your ovaries and we're seeing you in 36 hours to collect them all. Like it's an amazing technology that they have. So no, I didn't find it intrusive. Like I did opt to go under general anaesthetic for beer collection. I think it's something, you know, that just doesn't sit right with me being awake and, and you know, them dabbling down there. But, you know, it was the communication and the care was second to none. Yeah, and you've had a successful little yeah. baby. Yeah, first go, so I'm really lucky. That was so good. Boy or girl? Girl, little willow. Oh, and how old is she? Yeah. She's now four months, so yeah, time is flowing. Yeah, she's sleeping at the moment, which is nice. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> you really cherish those moments, trust me. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And is Willow your first child? Yeah, Willow, um, yeah, so first first child, yeah. So um, I went to try and fall pregnant when I was 34 and didn't work out so well. So, yeah, so I had my first little bub at 36. So I'm hoping to have another one as well. So I've got to try and sneak in for time escapes me. Yeah, the the age thing. We always hear it, but hearing. I you guess. always hear, I know. Yeah, it's science. You can't really turn back the clock. It just is what it is. This is Leanne's husband, Stephen. We met him in episode one, where he shared his story with us about his fertility issues. Basically, he had a very low sperm count, but after three months of keeping an eye on his diet and his health, his sperm test returned a very normal result. We were really fortunate only to have to go through to go through it once, and, and it was it was really quite straightforward, in, in, in honesty. Perhaps not enjoyable, but very very smooth and, and, and really easy to be part of. What wasn't enjoyable? It, it puts an enormous amount of pressure on Leanne. You know, she she has to number one get her body in an incredible shape, her mind in incredible shape, and then she has to go through a pretty rigorous undertaking of, of introducing hormones into our body which are not natural and that in itself is confronting but the way in which those are administered through multiple injections over multiple days is is, is, is confronting and and I would say that's probably the most difficult part of, of, of the entire process. We, we were somewhat fortunate. Leanne didn't experience some of the the massive influxes or, or, or the massive changes in, in the way she felt relative to those hormones that was it was relatively stable for her throughout, but I know that a lot of people do experience much, much greater changes. As a husband, as a partner, what what do you think you did right from a support perspective? And once you finished telling us what you did right, what did you do wrong? I think think the choices that I made really early on, even before we began IVF and, and, and being prepared to go and be tested and being prepared to understand the inhibitors to our success, kind of put Leanne and I on the same journey together and, and we were invested together throughout thereafter. So I think that was important that Leanne felt that we were in it together. It, it wasn't about her, that that would be number one. And and then everything that Leanne went through, I wanted to go through it with her, whether that was administering the injections for her, being there through egg collection, being there through the reintroduction of the embryo. All of those things were things that I wanted to experience together. And I think that Leanne would have wanted me to be there for all of those things as well. And it's a hugely intimate process, but intimate in a completely different way than, than a natural conception is, but but no less beautiful and no less powerful. And, and the experiences that we shared throughout that are really meaningful to us in, in, in the same way that a natural conception would be. And so what did you do wrong? We come in when we're not perfect. <laughs> or what, maybe not wrong. What could you have done better? Maybe it's me personally, but it, it, it's always difficult to give the same level of investment to the research 
that, that Leanne went through com- compared to myself. You know, that proactive sourcing of information and making sure that you're you're completely appraised of, of everything that's going on. I, I certainly didn't go to that level of rigour and perhaps didn't show that level of studious research and perhaps could have done more. And, and it was often a point of contention that I wasn't reading more about it and that I would wait to to the next conversation with the specialist to, to get my answers. But other than that, I'm, I'm not... It's difficult to say I don't think I did much wrong. But the, the, <laughs> nothing comes to mind as a as a large heated argument that we had about it because I think when you have a, a shared and common objective and a, and a, and a goal in mind, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to be on the, same, on the same path and it's a lot easier to kind of work together to, to that goal. Yes, yeah, I'm getting the feeling from the conversations I've been having about this, that some people think being supportive is getting cups of tea and making sure the rubbish is out and, you know, the house is clean and mm. those sort of things are important. But I'm just thinking about how, like you just said, doing the research, that women are much more prepared really early, whereas men kind of like get into it once it's actually happening. It's probably the same as women are mothers from the moment it's happening to them, whereas fathers ha- uh, for created the second they can see the baby. Yeah, I think I think that's true, and 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 I, I, I've been acutely aware and conscious and aware of that. And so, one of the things that I did to, to extend the story through Leanne's successful pregnancy is I I continued my abstination from alcohol throughout the nine months of pregnancy as a kind of ongoing support to to that process. You know, not only is is the chance of conception lower, the, 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 the chance to, to keep the child as low as well. And, and what that means is you may have to go through further cycles and you want to you recognise that, that Leanne has to keep her body as healthy as possible. And I wanted to continue continue that journey with her. And, and I think that was also a, a real positive for Leanne through the pregnancy. Look, thanks so much again My for pleasure. coming in. So it sounds like it's quite an involved process to be a part of. Yeah, I think quite a journey. A lot of ups and downs along the way. Yeah. Next episode, ironically, uh, we're talking about emotions. We are, and we're going to hear from a counsellor and a coach, a fertility coach, as well as a couple of patients who've been through it and their personal experiences. 